0: It's, it's- this is already the, uh, the most ill-fated recording since the great uh, Discord fiasco.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Must See Matches. I am the very tired and sweaty Kieran Fort, and joining me as always is the maestro of Must See Matches, Mark Buckleady. Mark, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thanks. Wedding season is over and I survived with only one head drop, so I'm fantastic. <laughs> Any context? Or uh, We decided to do a last minute two days before stag do for people flying in did zorbing i might have chosen a zorb ball that was slightly too small for me and i did a proper kotobushi land upside down on head
1: <laughs> ladies and gentlemen the only man who could pile drive himself in a zorb <laughs> <laughs> incredible well i'm sure you'll all be happy to know it's time for everybody's favorite lesson once again joshy prores history with professor parkin sarah how are you doing how have you been since we last spoke
2: Hey, up! I'm very excited about this. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize I've been promoted to professor during my absence.
1: Yeah, I well, I don't know what I am. I'm you know the loud talking one. He's the the master of the uh, stats and the facts. So uh, I guess I'll get. And I possess fewer
2: skills, but do bring the ability to talk a lot. So that you really bring, you bring me. a
1: lot of knowledge, which is uh, which is why we keep having you back. A lot of knowledge about something very specific, like a very specific gap in our own knowledge. Really, I think.
2: So, are you guys ready for your date with destiny?
1: Very good, very good. Um, if you call it a segue, it's no longer a segue, uh, unfortunately.
2: Uh, <laughs> also, I was just wondering how loudly I could get you guys to like cringe and groan simultaneously on mic. That was the dream.
1: We'll see. I'm sure you've heard
0: my jokes.
1: I was going to say, I'm sure Mark's got a cracking. The in bar is low, in fairness. up somewhere. <laughs> Uh, yes, indeed. This is, in fact, the destiny climax, uh, which is the special name given to just this match: Akira Hokuto versus Manami Toyota from AJW Destiny, September second, nineteen ninety-five, at Budokan Hall, allegedly in front of fourteen thousand eight hundred people. But we are in the prime era of inflating attendances, so who knows? I don't even know <laughs> if you're allowed to get fourteen thousand people
0: in Budokan.
2: Isn't it eighteen?
0: or
2: 16. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if this was it, it wouldn't surprise me if this was not a worked figure. Actually, bearing in mind that Big Egg wrestling universe had happened less than a year before this, mm. which got 40,000 people into the Tokyo Dome. Mm. Um, and I think I think the attendance that was announced for that was 42 and a half and mm. you know, comp comp tickets and things like that take that with a bit of a pinch of salt, but yeah. you you can get people to these big shows. So, I wouldn't be surprised if that was legit.
1: I am being a bit facetious. Like, this place is packed. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing with Budokan is, like, it's always, like, a mile and a half between the ring and the barricade. <laughs> like, they don't like sitting people too close to the action.
2: Well, I think, as this match demonstrates, you can't guarantee that the wrestlers will not end up taking up as much space as you can possibly allot them. That is, that is true. Yeah. They didn't
1: necessarily want to stay uh, their side of the barrier, did they? Um. So... What is the I I saw you two going back and forward on Twitter and I was like I was running short on time like right I'm doing no research on this because Mark appears to have done a lot and Sarah just has the entirety of Japanese women's pro wrestling in her head at oh any God. given moment. No pressure. <laughs> So um between you, is like sort of like, is there a story going in here to this match? Because the the pre match interviews, obviously they're in Japanese, but they they all seem a bit. Well, I'm going to go out there and do some wrestling, and hopefully I'll win. And that doesn't adequately prepare you for what happens once the match starts.
2: Oh, that's interesting because that's not really what I was picking up from 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 those interviews. Although, in fairness, I do think that the context really helps yeah. to, to put that mm-hmm. into the interview. So
1: these are two massively charismatic women i would say and it does not come across at all in the in the interviews like toyota seems i don't know like small and nervous and not like you know not not like a comp not like a confident athlete whereas um hokuto was uh not nervous but sort of dry and evil a bit
2: I think Hokuto carries a confidence in her where she kind of feels like she's the mountain to climb and she's the one to beat, yes. um, which I think is I think actually is is in keeping with the the storyline of this match. And I think you're absolutely right that um, Toyota, when she's speaking, I feel like she doesn't always come up. Ac- she doesn't come across as being a particularly big personality, mm. but that's what people like about her. And I think that that's kind of because she is kind of very she's quite reserved but she's quite innocent and she's quite likable and she's very kind of down to earth she is as far as i'm concerned she's like where they she's pretty much one of the perfect baby faces of wrestling history (laughs) Um, but she's one of those people who isn't the most prepossessing outside of the ring and then she gets in there and she's a completely new person um, Mm. which is kind of what i think is so exciting about her Mm. Um, uh, but yeah mark when you were watching those interviews did you what what was your sense of them? Because I kind of felt like Hokuto was coming in with a bit more cockiness about her. I
0: honestly, I've not seen much say interview segments from these people in the past. I've not seen many matches from them in the past, so I didn't really pick up on that. To be honest, I didn't really focus on it too much. Just um, I don't really zone into uh, zone into interviews that much. Really, it takes me a little bit to get. Up into watching a match zone. So, didn't really pick up much off this. I only mentioned it because it seemed
1: incongruous compared to what happened, like once they were the other side of the curtain, that was all. And oh, I always yeah. like the All Japan Women's um, interview setup, which is just a, a sort of uh, an interviewer dressed like a luxury coach driver, quietly interviewing these <laughs> women in front of a gigantic wall with the logo on there. <laughs>
2: somebody made a lot of money out of making like the pull-up banners and the sock walls and things that they used wherever they went It's uh, it's, you know signage for signage in joshi has always been a big business i think yeah but yeah i really enjoy that about it and i feel like it's a recurring thing actually in joshi because i don't know whether it may actually be a must match must see match but i don't know whether you've um, seen it before the infamous um exploding barbed wire death match between megumi kudo and combat toyota
0: oh it comes later (laughs) on
2: I was really hoping you were going to say that, um, but you'll see the same thing in the pre-match interviews for that as well. I mean, that's Toyota's retirement match, but mm. they are—they they come into it like they're about to go out there and kill each other, and they each come into it looking very earnest and being mm. kind of very serious about the whole thing. It's just, it's very much about the way that Joshi performers approach their craft at this point. I it's think. more
1: sports-like, isn't it?
2: Yes. Mm. And yeah. I, I,
1: like Japanese interviews, interviews in general, like throughout the '90s, were that way anyway. It wasn't, you know, we got used to watching the, you know, giant screaming American idiots it, on WWF and WCW TV, and then in Japan, everybody would be, you know, quite nice and respectful about their opponents, and then go and chop the piss out of them <laughs> twenty minutes later.
2: Pretty much, and I think as we'll see, both of these women wrestle like they have a death wish, and indeed might have a death wish, I, but, yeah. But- yeah, but I think, so just backtracking to kind of the storyline going into this. Yeah, that was
1: where we started this, well. yes, wasn't it? Yes,
2: so, I mean, because this story does actually go back quite a long way with um, the, the match between Manami Toyota and Akira Hokuto, has not happened very often oh. in the run-up to this match. So this is this is the sixth time that the three of them have met in their careers so far. Oh. Um, the last time they met was in the August of 1993 in the semi-finals of the Japan Grand Prix, which was the the tournament that they did every year. Um, in that one, um, Akira Hokuto beat Minami Toyota um, in the semi-final, and then she went on to win the Japan Grand Prix. Hmm. She then got injured again, which was a recurring theme with Akira Hokuto. We might talk about that in a bit, hopefully. Um, But as a result of that, she the title shot that she had won. As a result of that, she then came back and said, "I want the match, but let's make it a non-title match because me wrestling for it while injured will hurt the prestige of the title." And in that interim. Akira Hokuto spent most of 1994 in Mexico because she mostly left AJW and she mostly left Japan um, to marry a Mexican wrestler. Um, So she goes off and spends most of 1994 um, wrestling in CMLL um, and comes back. um, She comes back for a couple of big matches, but essentially the marriage doesn't last. The marriage breaks down really quickly. And by the end of 1994, she's pretty much back in Japan full time. Her first Mm -hmm. matches back are at Big Egg Wrestling Universe in the November. So she's effectively missed a year. She's made her comeback and she's, she is basically re-establishing herself and she's been having incredible matches all year, but predominantly tag matches because Mm -hmm. at this point, Hokuto is kind of so, so broken up from years and years of wrestling like she has a death wish um, that actually she, they're kind of protecting her quite a lot. And most of these cards were predominantly sort of tag matches anyway, um, but they were protecting Akira Hokuto singles matches are a big thing. Whilst all of this has been going on for Hokuto, Manami Toyota has been on a quest to defeat champion Arja Kong for the title um, for the WWE Championship, which was the Red Belt. Um, so Kong had the Kong, Kong held the belt for like three years. Like it was a it was one of those kind of monster title reigns where she eventually beat Bulma and then they sort of had like this era belongs to Arjikaong now, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, so. Manami Toyota had won it from her earlier in 1995. So there'd been a big build up to this um, Toyota famously lost to Kong in the first round of the VTOP tournament at, at Big Egg. Um, and then they'd been working on this throughout the course of the year. So Minami Toyota has finally, after umpteen times of asking, has finally climbed the mountain and beaten Aj Kong. She then drops the belt again quite soon afterwards. Um, so she gets a couple of defenses in and loses the title. So at this point, she's trying to get her title back, and she's doing this in the context of the 1995 Japan Grand Prix. She's had that short reign, which is kind of quite a common thing that you see in Japan, where um, and mm. you know they did it a Okada as well, where you know you have a first reign, but then you have to learn how to hold it.
1: Yeah, it, it's the prep reign to show that you're ready to win it, but that you're not yet at the point where you can, as you say, you're not ready to hang on to it. You're not ready to truly be um, on top.
0: And sometimes it's the cold feet rain where it's like, oh, business is not somehow magically improved, (laughs) so let's go back to old veteran number five. Sorry, that's my Noah rant done.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would say, in fairness, these are, although Manami Toyota and Akira Hokusu are at this point, they are bona fide legends. They are actually only in their mid-twenties. I I was just about
1: to look up how old they were at this point.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they're not far off. Um, They're coming up to and they're roundabout the uh, former mandatory retirement age but Manami mm. toyota becomes one of those people who's allowed to stay on past 26 mm. as they basically get rid of those age gaps of uh, those sort of age restrictions because they don't have the churn of young women coming in to take that yeah. type of jobs. um and i i think there's an argument that by 1995 this is they are starting to rely on some of those bigger matches because although you know the gates are still really good at this point we're really starting to see some of the slight decline in sort of wrestling's popularity and certainly in, in, in Joshi. Just quickly, um, Toyota
1: was twenty-five at this point and Hokuto yeah. was twenty-eight or twenty-nine. Well I can't yeah. I can't do maths that quickly.
2: Yeah. Hokuto would come back, um, but I think the idea was because she'd obviously she'd gone off, she'd been married. I think the idea had been she was one of the first people where they'd kind of done that. Um but she had um but yeah so Hokuto has come back, Toyota is on this road to winning back to, to winning back the title with a view to proving this time that she can be the mega champion, that she can actually carry the belt. She's doing that through, her road takes her to the Japan Grand Prix. The night before the final, she has to see off Akira Hokuto in the main event of this match. The idea being... I think ultimately each of them has unfinished business with the other Hokuto because she wants to prove that she should be at that level. She should be at that level again. Mm-hmm. She's maybe putting some of her demons to bed with kind of the couple of years that she's had, but really Toyota's the main character in this storyline. And this is part of her building up to when they, to when she's eventually going to go on and hopefully win the Japan Grand Prix the following night, um, which is all part of her road. That's the title. That is a,
1: that is, that's mad. That's like, I mean, in New Japan context, that's like having Wrestle Kingdom the night before the G1 yeah. final.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is not a tournament match, is it? It's something completely separate from the tournament.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, Destiny Climax is not part of the Japan Grand Prix. This is a separate <laughs> event. Um, so, this is yes. <laughs> the finals happening the following night. Um, they've, the matches have been going on, kind of um, over the you know. This is early September. There's definitely some matches happening, sort of in late August as well. Um, later on this year, they're going to go and have the tag league. The tag league, you know, the, the tag league starts in like September. Um, this is not a spoiler for this match, but for example, Manami Toyota won the Wrestling Observer's Match of the Year award this year, not for this match. For yes. one of the matches she had during the couple of months when she held the title, um, which is the incredible 60-minute um, Broadway she had with Kyoko Inoue, um, that's an astonishing match as well. Um, but both of these people are on, like, are in the years of their lives, and they mm. are finally at the point where this is the kind of big show that they're kind of doing because they can as much as anything, mm. because Toyota and Hokuto are finally the generation who have gotten to a point where Men talk about them as being on a par with the men. And as much as that kind of grinds my gears because, you know, who knew we needed men to tell us that we, you know, that we were good at stuff. Yeah, sorry but about
0: that.
2: that. Yeah, but finally, like this is the point where like women's wrestling is actually really being talked about on that global stage and being on, not just in terms of the crowds that it draws or anything, because we know that Dave Meltzer, for example, saw and agayo in his prime, yeah. but in terms of work rate these are the people who are actually being discussed on a car with like your missiles and your kawadas and people like that who are their direct contemporaries so this is the point where people are looking at them and going oh this is the biggest singles match that these guys can do and this match hasn't happened for two years
0: Mm.
2: you know between people that haven't been fighting over titles haven't necessarily had they've wrestled each other quite a bit in tag matches at this point over the course of the year, but they haven't had that big singles match, which at this point, everybody must have been sitting around and saying, so when are they going to do that again? Cause we need that. Yeah. You know, they're both in a very different place to where they were two years earlier. And that makes it a more interesting match. Lesnar versus Reigns. This is not.
0: <laughs> speaking of, um, cause you, you mentioned the devil speaking of uh, Meltzer and the wrestling observer hall of fame and all that malarkey. Oh yes. Um, only 11 women have uh, are part of that Hall of Fame. Um, ignore yeah. the, the issues with that. These two women, Hokuto and Toyota, they're in it. And honestly, of the 11 in that Hall of Fame, I think we cover eight of them on the podcast, uh, which just shows how heavy the um, Joshi scene was in terms of seen as the best. I think the only person not in... The uh, Joshi scene in that Hall of Fame is Mildred Burke.
2: Now that's interesting. I'd be as curious to know which of those women are not on the list as, as who are. It'd be real I'd be intrigued by that. So the ones
0: that are not covered, gonna be covered by a podcast are Linus Asker, Mildred Burke, and Devil Masami.
2: Ooh. Now there are some good match recommendations I can give you involving all of with women with people. Aska and Masami were probably one vote off actually making the list. That doesn't surprise me. Um, but one thing that I would mention about all of these people is the connections with the the last episodes that I the I was here to chat yes. to you about. No. Um, because all of these women were trained by Jaguar Carter, pretty much. No. So all, all of these women in the 90s anyway, people like Devil Misami yeah. was a contemporary of hers in, in the 80s, for example. But mm-hmm. this whole coterie of kind of people pushing the boundaries in the 90s would not have been in the position they were if you hadn't had, number one, if you hadn't had the influx of money and resources that came with the Crush Girls' popularity mm-hmm. from people like Chikisunagaya. But actually, if you hadn't had the skill and the training that came with putting Jaggi Riyakota in that dojo.
1: And we, est- and we established last time you were here how fucking great and cool Jaguar Yakota is.
2: She really, really is. Yeah. There's an amazing um Jaguar Yokota versus Linus Asker um match that I cannot recommend enough, which is, you know, next time you when you eventually reboot the must and the Musty matches, um I'll be making sure that I rank that one very highly. Um but yeah, no, this is an this is a really nice kind of in terms of thinking about where joshi had gone in the 10 years between mm. the matches that you've talked about here this is a sign of kind of how one thing kind of led to another because without those earlier matches we would not be getting this and i do think you, you can see kind of how that style has evolved but how you still got It some is of that kind of i did so
1: one of the things i did know it was very um, visually and stylistically distinct from the stuff we talked about 10 yeah. years earlier this is not um, this is not chigusa nagayo in her swimsuit Like, this is a promotion that has very obviously, is now more obviously, let's say, catering to the male gaze than it was 10 years ago, because that's what the audience has become. And it is not necessarily, I I, I mean, they are there to see good wrestling, but it's like they have more of a superstar look than Chigusa did, for sure. They are dressed much flashier than anybody we looked at on those last two Episodes we did. However, it is still all about the wrestling. And that wrestling style has very much changed in that past 10 years. The only thing that looks the same is the ring.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. And and to be honest, even the referees
1: improved. Oh, yeah. I assume he was immediately fired after that hair match we talked about. Are
2: you still really upset? I hate that 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 man. I don't know whether they had a mandatory retirement age, but, you know, maybe they could have introduced one for the refs at that <laughs> point. Uh, but, yeah, I think that is, it's interesting when you see kind of how they might have, like, borrowed elements from kind of men's wrestling mm. as well. And, you know, they mm. kind of know that they're in competition with All Japan, to yeah. be honest. They know that they're, you know, they know that they've, they've got those male rivals as well. Um, so they know that they're offering something different. Um, and part of what changed in in that decade in between these is the proliferation of other wrestling companies Mm. as well. So you've had, um, so it was actually um, JPW was the one that, um, JPW? JWP? JWP. JWP. Yeah, JPW is a very different thing. Um, JPW um, was really the one that started with kind of putting a lot more into the costumes and putting Mm. a lot more into the entertainment. Mm. And then that's a competitive thing. Like you really have to start pushing those boundaries and kind of leaning into the spectacle of it a little bit more as well. So we're already in the era, for example, you know, come 1993, we're already in the middle of a lot of these big inter-promotional matches and inter-promotional, inter-promotional shows. So there's very much an element of direct comparison there as well.
1: Yeah, yeah we're only a couple of years removed from the big uh, AJW versus JWP program, aren't we?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the interesting thing that's going on in the background here is that... Um, since Manami Toyota has lost the title it's actually currently in the hands of Dynamite Kansai so it actually at the moment they are planning on working their way back to the top title Mm. Toyota and Hoto are both wanting to prove that they're at that level at the moment someone who's not even from AJW is their champion Mm -hmm. And, and that's the point where you know they feel like there's an element of Maybe it shows you a sign of how things were going creatively and in terms of talent and what they wanted to do with the company at that yeah. point as well. Um, but absolutely, it's it's an interesting sign of the times, I think, the fact that they, were, they weren't afraid to put the title on someone like that. But it gives a bit of extra weight to this storyline because it means that everybody else now kind of wants to win that back for... Yeah for themselves and for the company and you know there's an element of pride at at stake
1: as mark and i have discussed on podcasts that aren't this one japan very much likes a the promotion has to rally together to get back their a title from an outsider
2: yeah big fan of meiko Satomura's title running stardom um from quite a few years ago by the way if you ever if you're ever interested in going back and looking at that Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that's one of the times when it worked really well
0: Mm. oh if you if you do it right uh and Outside, outsider guys. Just fantastic. there's so many different ways to make it work.
1: If you do it wrong, it's Nassau winning the Triangle Gate titles.
0: <coughs> anyway, <coughs> <coughs> uh, so point, guys. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, so uh, Budokan Hall, fourteen thousand people. Uh, it is the dangerous queen versus the woman who once uh, unknowingly clapped her hand down very hard on my extremely sunburnt shoulder. Uh, <laughs>
2: wait excuse me
1: <laughs> in 2010 Context, uh, in 2010 i went to an oz academy show at shinjuku face and um, oh my God, I'm so jealous. uh and Manami toyota was doing uh pictures for free at the merch table uh-huh. during intermission so i went and got one and she smiled big at me and sc- clapped her hand on my shoulder as we as we uh, uh moved in for the polaroid guy uh, what she didn't know was a week earlier in Australia, I'd got horrifically burnt on Bondi beach. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have the photo. I'll, I'll put it up. Uh, you can see if you can tell through my grin that I'm in incredible pain, um, <laughs> but I'm not about to tell a wrestling legend that she just really hurt me.
2: <laughs> Bless her. And if she'd known, I'm sure she seems like a very, very nice lady. I'm sure. that if She she'd was, known.
1: She, uh, uh, she spoke not a word of English, but she seemed lovely.
2: I don't know when when it was that you saw her, but I saw her in um when she first when she came to the UK for pro wrestling eve I a remember, few years ago. Yeah. yeah didn't that. speak a word didn't speak a word of no. English, but that was when I met her as well. No. Um She seemed very nice, but slightly baffled by why everybody knew who she was and liked her so much.
1: Uh I think she was just baffled that there was a white guy in the crowd when I saw her. <laughs> I was I was literally the only non Japanese person in Shinjuku Face. Um, and Hokuto is one of my ones that kind of got away. Like through my trips to Japan, I've been able to see at uh, varying states of disrepair. Like basically, what I would call all of my '90s Japanese wrestling heroes. Uh, and the three that I've never got to see were uh, Masachono at Sushanita and Akira Hokuto.
2: Well, in fairness, Akira Hokuto is mostly busy being a celebrity housewife.
1: That's Nowadays, true. Nowadays,
2: and has been for quite a long that time. That is true.
1: She hasn't felt the need to come and beat up Stalker Shikawa for a while.
2: I mean, oh. fair play if she does, to be fair. I, I, I respect that. Are you guys um, aware of... Uh, I do feel like it has to be mentioned every time Hokuto appears on a podcast. Are you guys aware of um, her meeting and relationship with Kenta Sasaki Oh, and the salacious part
0: out? of the rumours.
1: <laughs> Very much. It's but not rumours, I think it here. It's been, yeah as i kind of mentioned last week uh, matches with that are over 20 years old i want to kind of provide a bit of history and context to so maybe not everybody does know about the kensuke sasaki and akira hokuto story so feel free to recap
2: well, our story returns to the year that eventually we're going to start talking about Destiny Climax, <laughs> um, and it comes, from, it comes from a show called Collision in Korea, which is a wrestling show that, yes, took place in North Korea because Antonio Inoki is insane, um, and essentially it was a big joint show in, in Korea, and recently separated from her previous husband, Akira Hokuto, um, meets um, Kensuke Sasaki whilst they're working this show they they meet they go out on their first date by all accounts they have a lovely time how on earth they
1: managed to have a date in Pyongyang as foreigners is beyond me I imagine their date was maybe the hotel restaurant if they were lucky
2: well I I, from what we know of what happened afterwards it wouldn't surprise (laughs) me if they didn't go much further than the hotel because that's where they spent the rest of the night keeping the entire hotel awake and they came downstairs the next morning for breakfast and they were engaged.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, it seems to
0: have worked. Right.
2: Did say. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't get me wrong, it works. So, you know, fair play to them all, but, you know. Wasn't the story
0: it? that Sasaki's uh, New Japan co- co-workers basically tried to guilt him into proposing? That's the version <laughs> I've heard.
2: What, really?
0: I, I, I heard something that supposedly it was a case of we obviously know what's happened. You've got to do the right thing. Maybe that's just where I've heard it from. Maybe that's not the s- true story.
2: I like the version where they just where they just decide that everything's going so well that they're going to get married. I'm going to yeah. stick. I'm going to choose to believe that version of events rather than effen- effectively a shotgun wedding. <laughs> yeah. So that's so that's Kira Hokuto folks. I- I'm trying to think if we've got any like notable. Stories um, from Manami Toyota, but mostly, apart from just being really into motorbikes, she seems like pretty chill.
1: So, with all that tabloid gossip out of the way, let's talk about a wrestling match. Uh, Akira Hokuto comes out to Oro Delay by Luis Miguel. Uh, can either of you name Miguel's other big contribution to Japanese pro wrestling?
2: No, I didn't even know that that was who had made Oro Delay. So, thank you for that. Hey-
0: He's not um, Ultimo Guerrero. Ultimo Guerrero? Ultimo Dragons. He is. Separados yes. He's is he? the
1: man really? who recorded Separados, the track that really? uh, Dragon Gate Network mutes every damn show. <laughs> Guys, pay for the
2: rights. Yes. Just once. Yes,
1: exactly. Uh, well done. You score an extra point. Um, Hokuto uh, looks amazing in this full black wedding dress with a headpiece and a bouquet. And you can't see her face. You can't see any of her body. She just looks like this lacy black ghost coming down the aisle uh and her wedding
0: was about a month later i think
1: i was gonna say uh, she doesn't actually marry sasaki for another month um, yeah
2: this, flat- is her, this is pretty much her default gear at this point like okay. she uh, i would like to i would like to imagine that she is like joshy miss havisham like the like the miss havisham who miss havisham who really really wants to kick your head in i was and it works for her
1: my references aren't as uh, uh not as, as that uh I went more black lace than the late 80s disco uh she does look like a complete badass though uh, and yeah, uh, toyota for her part is uh, is interesting so um uh, Hokuto removes uh black garb to reveal it, a white based outfit underneath whereas uh mm-hmm. it's the other way around for uh toyota who takes off a full white robe to reveal her her traditional black underneath uh she also tries to rush hokuto before the bell misses and Hamrick bumps to the outside that's the first thing that happens and the bell hasn't rung yet um
2: my favorite thing my favorite thing about this is that Toyota is not even is not even in the ring yet hokuto is not even out of her robe she does yeah. that on, onto her onto the floor just with like bits of l- bits of lace just like flying everywhere and then she drags herself back into the ring and finally disrupts yes it's just yeah. it's such a good visual just like bits of like fabric everywhere
1: yes um uh, and and once i get back inside so hokuto offers a hand toyota takes it and is immediately back suplexed and the ref calls for the bell um <laughs> yes. you cannot that we it's a trap we kind of fall into on the show i definitely fall into which is becoming mr play by play you cannot describe this match move by move there is you absolutely no can. i yeah. i i watched this twice and so, so i i do my fan watch first and then i do my podcast host watch later on where i take where i pause and i take notes it would have taken me an hour to get through this 20 minute match if i wrote down everything they did they it's non-stop big bombs and counters, backwards and forwards for better or for
0: worse i i describe this in my notes as they're not messing about from the start and also absolutely no chill and giving no one time to get their shit in it's a case of. Oh, you're going for a move? No, I'm going to do this
2: instead. <laughs> what well, I much love so. about this is just how aggressive it feels. it oh, feels it, really like, is. it feels like the thing is they both know what a threat the other is, and they know that they have to try and put each other away very early on. So they yeah. go, they go for it. I wrote in my notes: both women have a death wish, which becomes a recurring theme oh, throughout this.
1: Yeah, uh, a Toyota's manifests itself as it often would, with her never saying top rope drop kick to the outside the only other person i've i can recall seeing do that is great sasuke and we know how mentally stable he is
0: kotoribushi's done one once which was a springboard missile drop kick style drop kick and yeah. it hit dick togo square in the head it's one of the most ridiculously how did he do that moves,
1: yeah. I think, like and so. as you say once even kotoribushi decided he was only going to do this once
2: and that's a man who's literally sprayed fireworks on himself in Bethnal Green.
1: Exactly, exactly. But I'm always constantly amazed at how Manami Toyota is didn't end up in a wheelchair with some of the stuff she does.
2: She's one of those people who continues to amaze me that she can still walk. I mean, same for Hokuto to be honest, but for slightly yeah. different reasons. Um, for slightly different reasons, because she isn't doing like, missile drop kits to the floor, but she genuinely does not seem to care about whether she has a functioning neck or not. No. And considering that this is a woman whose legend was born when she broke her neck in the first fall of a two out of three falls tag match in Jeez. 1987 and then finished the match in places holding her head in place on the top of her neck. Yes. Um, the fact that she is taking suplexes that high on her shoulders and on her neck mm. in, in 1995, that kind of brings in part of the element of danger because you can hear the crowd going for it every Mm. time she lands like that. There's an element of kind of almost, there's a kind of morbid fascination with the fact that like she's like, she's basically held together with string at this point and she's still doing this. Like every time these women go backwards and forwards like this, everybody knows how high the risk is. Mm. Um, and And the pace is genuinely breathtaking. It's that combination of the tension and not having a chance to really process it. And also the thing is, you say about like how held together with string she is.
0: She only debuted in, what, 1985? So it's like...
2: Um, so she was a little bit later than that. So Hokuto was 1986, um, I think. So
0: that was nine years. And by this point, it's like, yeah, we need to wrap her in bubble wrap and keep her in the uh, good box. Yeah. But have you seen the schedule? Yeah.
1: So if you go on Cage Match, you can select events around this event and it shows you everything, like, either side. Hmm. In in those months, I'm not kidding. They must all Japan women must have done fifty shows. It, yeah, they did. It's mad. It's something ev- almost every day from the first of August until the end of September until the end of October.
2: To an extent, they're kind of trying to. They're, they're trying to protect everybody by booking them in tag matches as well. That's always what every day
1: is still a wrestling match.
2: Yeah, and actually, an AJW tag match. It's only protecting people by their standards, not by anybody yeah. else's. These people are still doing mad moves in every single one of those matches. So yeah, it's, it's really tiring. None
1: of them are a Toru match. Like, it's all... <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think
2: hot has ever worked one of those in my life. Well, uh,
1: so um, I, something I really noticed was, and I, it made me think about other Manami Toyota matches I've seen, um well from the 90s anyway she was definitely much slower in 2010 on uh, on a shinjuku face yeah. show um the only time she slows down is when she's forced to by her opponent yeah um and hokuto does this by locking her in an stf that basically sees the sole of toyota's foot pointing in the same direction as her nose <laughs> um and then uh, a camel clutch i described as far more humbling than anything the iron sheik has ever put on <laughs>
2: where Hokuto we- ends up
1: basically laying on her back pulling uh Toyota by the hair. It's horrible.
2: It's really horrible. And what I what I like about this is I think submissions tend to Tend to look particularly good on on women because they tend to be a bit more flexible as well. Yeah. So generally, the more muscle mass you have, like this is why The Rock can't like cannot do or take a sharpshooter at all. <laughs> some people just have too much bulk and it doesn't yep. work. Yep. Someone like Minami Toyota, who is very slight and very bendy, can make those things look absolutely like soul destroying.
1: I was always a big fan of cheerleader and Melissa making mischief, kick herself
0: in the back of the head.
2: Oh, it was so good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Best Texas clover leaf ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, this whole submission sequence, because they, is going for multiple different holds and that. Mm. But what I love is, it's, everything's there. It doesn't feel like we need a rest spot. Oh need no, this, these are,
1: these yeah. are submission holds and not rest holds.
0: There's passion, there's mm. anger. Toyota's literally trying to get out of a hole by just grabbing away at the hair or slapping away. It, it's yeah. really well done. And it, even this sequence, pretty much everything from the start has felt like we're doing something to try and win a match. It it constantly feels like we're not going through our moveset, we're trying to win this damn thing.
2: And what I love about these two wrestling each other, which you don't, certainly, I don't think you get it to the same extent in Toyota matches. I think there's an element of Paco dragging her down to her level because you get to a point where there's a combination of that kind of viciousness with the actual, the kind of quote-unquote serious wrestling because you'll have you'll have these hideous-looking submission moves, but then they'll, like, grab the hair with them as well and, like, crank back each other's necks and things right. like that. So there's a lot of, there's hair pulling and there's slapping, but the slaps are actually really stiff palm strikes as well. Right. So you get that mixture of almost the, the things that, a certain era uh, in a certain era doy we thought that all women's wrestling was you know that idea of Mm -hmm. almost like the cat fight type of thing where they will go where where they will hair pull and they will slap but it's all done in the context of no i'm gonna fuck you up basically there's a really nice (laughs) back and forward between them with that
1: i have to say i was slightly disappointed in toyota for resorting to a hair throw i was like come on you're better than that
2: but i but is she though because Hokuto's whole thing is that she is vicious and that she you know she is the dangerous queen pulling people's hair using people's hair as a as a weapon and just seeing it as an extension of their body that she mm. can use to manipulate them as she wishes that's kind of always been part of her deal actually mm. and you can see it being the kind of thing where you have a really dangerous opponent in someone like Toyota, you're going to pull out every trick in the book. So to Mm -hmm. me, that kind of feels quite in keeping because the story of this match really is Hokuto coming in and saying, Oh, you think you're going to beat me? And she comes in wrestling and carrying herself a bit more like I'm the man and I'm the one you've got to be,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, and she, she brings in this kind of physicality and this violence. And there's something very, very relentless about her, which is a really nice foil for Toyota being this kind of almost unkillable babyface who can't help but get back up and who can't help but find a way to win, Mm. even if it might kill him in the process.
0: But also, despite that, Toyota is bringing the viciousness. She is bringing the aggression as well. She is not tame. She's not timid. She's, She's giving as good as she got
2: yeah i think it's that idea of bring of you know dragging you down to her level you know i think mm. that's what hokuto does and she brings out she brings out oh. that side of toyota. Yeah,
1: yeah there's a part where she gives exactly what she got where she sits on hokuto's chest talks shit to her and slaps her around which is exactly what hokuto did to her not five minutes earlier um yeah while i'm having a mini dunk on manami toyota she's great at a lot of things kicking is not one of them um
2: and I'd, yeah, I'd probably give you that.
1: <laughs> for all her grace, with a lot of her other flying, so there's a there's a spot where she does this unbelievably graceful hands-free twisting crossbody off the top rope. Hmm. Um, yeah. Then later on, she does a moon salt that's really flat and heavy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, was- I
2: did see that. I did say that that moon salt. It felt like. Because normally Toyota's moonsault is a beautiful thing. Like she get normally gets a lot of air on it. But coming kind of halfway through the match, it kind of almost made sense to me that you wouldn't get the same elevation and the same rotation on it. It was yeah. almost like this is what happens when a woman is tired and also doing a moonsault.
1: There, there are some people who like always got great altitude and kind of float over. If you think of like a pre-broken down Kurt Angle, for example, who like – always yes. seem to be like eight feet above the top turnbuckle and this graceful float over and then there's people like kenta Kobashi, who's just like, like a, a heavy lump who's somehow able to maneuver himself over backwards this was more on the kabashi end of the scale than the kurt Angle end i think oh
2: i, I love that idea i would also say like as much as it was quite innovative to have a woman in America doing a moonsault as a finisher, I think Lita is one of those ones where everybody know everybody knows that it was a bit ropey, but you know, Lita moonsaulted so that the rest of us could do it so that the rest of us could fly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was actually quite a lot like a Lita moonsault just with less thong showing. Um, <laughs> There's a great spot where uh, Toyota turns the DQ bomb into a Rana for an pull. DQ bomb for people who haven't seen it. It basically starts with Hokuto having her opponent in a waist lock from behind and then rotates them into a power bomb. Never seen anybody else do this. What a great move. Someone needs to steal it.
2: Not many other people will try and attempt it, actually. You have to have
1: an opponent of the right size and weight to do it on, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I think I really like some of those scenes where they're very much they they understand it. They've got each other so well scouted. There's mm. some really moves where like Toyota kind of sees a dangerous queen bomb coming and kind mm. of uh, kind of finds a way to finagle out of it. Um, Hokuto is very much building around every time Toyota looks like she's close to trying to get her up on the shoulders for a Japanese ocean cycle and mm. suplex, yes. she finds a way to wriggle out of yeah. that somehow and turn it into something else because she pretty much one of the running themes of this match is that you see it happen again and again and again mm-hmm. it's like oh she knows that if they, that if she takes a japanese ocean cyclone and like she's dead and then about five minutes before the minute before the finish she takes one and kicks out yes and i just i really like that bit of storytelling throughout it, it was just a what do i have to do you know that was the thing that toyota was riding on basically
1: the kick out really pulls the crowd into it as well they They come up big for it. Uh, Japanese Ocean Cyclone Suplex, by the way, not only one of the best move names ever, one of my favourite wrestling moves of all time.
2: Oh, it's so good. Mm. There are very few people who can pull it off. And I think given that Toyota was quite clear when she retired and she handed that move over to her... one of only two trainees she ever had sakasa fujimoto and said this is your move now i think she's also very protective of who who can do it and who can do it well Mm. you know there are not many of them
1: other people have tried let's just leave it at that (laughs) (laughs) other people have tried who maybe
2: shouldn't have done Mm.
1: um the other thing are things i really liked were um hokuto hits the shortest most brutal fisherman buster i think i've ever seen
0: oh, that was straight bloody down at one point. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then, uh, in a show of unbelievable uh, pro-wrestling love, slaps on her fiancé, Stranglehold Gamma. I love how Kensuke and Hokuto express their love by borrowing each other's big moves.
2: Doesn't it disappoint you, though, that that means that, like, Sasaki doesn't do any of Hokuto's moves as well as she does. So she does all of his moves better than he does. And then she does all of her moves better than he does as well. So ultimately, when they they swap each other's finishes, the average quality declines quite a bit. It's just really disappointing
1: uh so the wrestling isn't paying dividends uh so toyota hauls hokuto outside lays her on a table and hits a top rope splash the table gives so little on impact that the ring crew just lift it back over the barrier
0: and put it back where it was <laughs> it, it, it it was the masato tanaka special probably before masato tanaka was even outside of his oh, what are the senpai going to make me eat now? That's really gross, (laughs) face.
2: I have to say, re-watching this match, which is a a match I've seen many times, I I re-watched it. I was like, do you think this was the first time I truly appreciated that they're still going at it? And in the background, you can just see the ring crew lifting this table back (laughs) over the barrier and putting it back. It just seemed like, well, someone's got to clean this up. Uh...
1: Flashbacks to the WrestleMania 10 ladder match as the camera has this inc- cameraman has this incredible shot starting in a mid on Toyota and getting her in focus and widening out a little as she steams across the ring into a hands-free top rope flip dive and then the referee walks right into the lens. <laughs> so you don't see. I assume she missed. You don't see if she hits or misses. Uh, Hokuto just oh, sort yeah. of rolls away, and then we see Toyota in pain on the floor. So I get, I guess she missed. Uh, I called the referee Hebner, uh, which. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you so you at- know this is serious. You, you know
2: how serious this whole doing things on tables just to see if they ever are going to make one break segment of this match. You oh, yeah. can tell that they're both getting quite concerned about each other's well-being because there's moments where they actually seem to be stopping to check on each other. Oh yes, Not something either of them is necessarily known for doing. Certainly there's not. Really-
1: a, no. There's a lot of the cell hug uh, in this section of the match. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, I made this f- top rope flip dive miss at a minimum, Toyota's third mental bump to the outside in this match alone.
2: Yeah, yeah, she doesn't care. I think we do need to take a moment to appreciate an absolutely disgusting straight jacket German suplex that Toyota does to Herta that lands pretty much directly on her neck. It's yes. like we've already thrown this woman around by her hair quite a bit. This is a brutal for someone whose neck kind of isn't really there anymore. Like this and is a, this is, these are big moves to be taken. Yeah, so it's I think if
1: I'm right, that is the Japanese ocean suplex, no cyclone, and mm-hmm. basically uh it's it's not your your traditional straight jacket um toyota basically folds her opponent's arms behind her back and that's the grip so Mm. she's not lifting them around the race she's lifting them under the arms have you ever tried lifting anybody like that like there's no support you're relying on their shoulders not popping out like that's an incredibly hard lift to do even with help like there's so much that can go wrong in that move
2: you don't have a lot of control over the landing no
0: is, you really are
2: relying on your
0: opponent there's reason why notes called it the what the hell was that suplex <laughs> um
1: but anyway uh, uh chronologically we're still on the outside uh hokuto has uh, capitalized by this on this mad bump uh by power bombing toyota twice on another rock solid table that uh, she's standing then, on
0: that yes, she's standing yes, on yes, so, exactly. if table, yes. so if the table goes she is absolutely fucked uh, uh,
1: and then she hits the top rope sent on. And again, this table merely brushes the lint off its shoulder and carries on with its day. <laughs> it,
0: it is the most Japanese table that ever Japanese tabled.
1: I wonder if Matthew's ever seen this one. Um, in the background of all this, I couldn't help but notice the apron gets lifted up, and we can see a massive 90s CRT TV monitor firmly anchored under the ring, apparently playing a live feed of the show. What? Who? What? <laughs> having not seen the rest of the show i have no good explanation as to why there's a there's a monitor underneath the ring like i don't know I, if do I, I didn't even notice
2: that
1: i mean this wasn't like there wasn't kurt hennig waiting under a nitro ring for two hours to do a run-in or a thing like that it was just it was there's no reason why it's there um so they're both completely knackered uh the referee helps them both individually back into the ring. Something else I've not seen before. He doesn't try and count them out. He helps them back into the ring.
2: This is absolutely him looking at them and being like, but he's basically the equivalent of your pub landlord at last orders, isn't he? He's just being yeah. like, right, okay, that's enough for you guys. We're going to get there. We're, you know, we're going to, let's
1: let's see this off. All then. right, ladies, take it inside. Yes. Um, uh, and then in the moment that absolutely killed a match I was really enjoying, Toyota just hits two Northern Lights bombs and wins. What?
2: Right. In fairness... She had just
1: had the shit beaten out of her. Yeah. Yeah. It was so weird.
2: Yes. On the one hand, that's fair. On the other, <laughs> the fact that... I mean, it looks cool. You can't argue that. I feel like that is the same justification that we've been using for, like the past 25 years of people not fully selling massive moves and then going on to win which ultimately is a a formula that toyota was very good at Um, (laughs) i i think the thing that's quite interesting about it is that northern lights northern lights anything is what you associate with rather than toyota so she's basically beating the woman with her own move
1: toyota's queen bee bomb is quite similar isn't it i think that's what it's called uh but the commentators and i was listening for the second with the second time i watched this the commentators specifically called both of these northern lights bombs
2: yeah and i think that's i don't know there's something really something really interesting about the fact that she doesn't pin her with her own sort of Mm. established finisher japanese ocean cyclone suplex or anything Mm. she goes for she goes for a northern lights bomb which is far more Uh, far more a Hokuto move there's uh, I think I don't know in that maybe there's an element of not knowing how to put her away and you know maybe taking a leaf out of her book and kind of finding your killer instinct Mm. maybe I I think it yeah it's the complete
1: lack of transition that got me like she was she was on the deep she'd just taken uh, this crazy bump to the outside two power bombs on a table that might might as well have been made of concrete a uh, sent on that i'm amazed didn't break all of her ribs and then had to be rolled inside by the referee and then mm. she's on her feet first hits her opponents move twice and wins it's if i wanted to be cynical about it it's a bit triple h uh, <laughs> i mean but, to be fair,
2: Pocato is a lot more banged up than she is
1: yeah you know
2: i think that I mean, in general, know, even though, yes, um, i yes. think but yeah, but I mean, even though Hokuto has been, doling out, or has been doling out a lot of moves at this point, a lot of damage has already been done to her at this point in the match as well. Yeah. But she's, a, you know, she has taken a lot of hits and everybody knows she's done a lot of stuff on her neck recently, which, you know, is probably not something that Akira Hokuto should be doing. I, yeah, don't get me wrong. I think it maybe does feel a bit, of, you know, against the run of play, so yeah. to speak. It kind I of think- needed
1: like some kind of transition, I think.
2: Yeah, that's, that's, all it
0: needed was Hokuto to go for a big spot or something, uh, Toyota to just dodge it or something desperate like that. You could just like one or two small moves, like 30 seconds, and I wouldn't have as many complaints about it. Don't get me wrong, I love the match, but I think it just needed just a tiny bit, just a little bit of salt,
2: just a little bit of salt. I mean, they do... Once they get to that point, once they get to that point of Toyota having the victory and and Hocker basically staying down, they commit to that and they commit to yeah, it yeah. to the point where Toyota very clearly can barely stand when she still has to stand there mm. and receive her like novelty sign and take a trophy from the sponsor and all of that. Like, literally, I have notes note about the post match
1: too.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, stays down and does a stretcher job like she is stretched off you know that's a if you were going to be smart about it you'd almost look at it and say did they call the match a bit too early because Hokuto was injured I mean obviously you know well maybe but they still they still did post-match clips with Hokuto where she's walking around backstage um and actually they they set up um Pretty much the autumn of AJW because Mima Shimoda, um is in basically one of the people who pulls Akira Hokuto out mm. of the ring and then is talking to her backstage, mm. um, and they then become a tag team that then go into the tag league in the autumn. So they're kind of rekindling their their friendship throughout this kind of scene as well. So they they so so she's probably all right basically is what I'm saying, or at least she's mm. not she's not injured enough to stay down. And this is Akira Hokuto, so she could literally have a broken neck. Um, (laughs) but but yeah maybe maybe they did call the match a a little bit early but at least they at least they commit to toyota selling after the match as well
1: so Mm. you you made a point earlier about uh toyota being the main character yes however the end of this match the post-match seemed more about hokuto losing than toyota winning like toyota so uh uh mm-hmm. i did wonder if this was perhaps a loser goes to wcw match as that's where hokuto would end up next um but we get uh a daibuing desk, which is always one of my favorite calls on japanese commentary a man with an appalling haircut gets booed out of the building as he presents toyota with a trophy uh facially he looks like tetsuya naito and i kind of hope it was a relative um
2: that would be great
1: yeah uh she also appears to have won a trip to christmas island uh what that's a real place. No, it's not where Santa has his workshop. It's an Australian territory close to the southwest coast of
0: Indonesia and it looks lovely. Oh, I've heard of Christmas Island. I just did not notice that
2: whatsoever. You've probably heard of Christmas Island from all the nuclear weapons testing that happened there in the fifties. Oh.
1: So Manami Toyota went on a holiday and came back with three heads.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a hell of a that would be a hell of a storyline for the next Gaia Girls documentary or something <laughs> like that when they go back and <laughs> like, okay, so what's been happening in Jersey since the downturn? Well <laughs>
1: um uh mark do you have anything further on this match
0: um i think my my general takes on the match are it's not even 21 minutes and aside from the table segment it just absolutely flies by it's yeah um i've got a take which i'll save till the end um but this felt I think a lot of the matches going back that we've done, I think modern wrestling fans will find a little bit. It'll take time to tune into because the pace is slower or the structure's different. Mm. This feels like a match where it's very easy for a 2020s wrestling fan to see this and they don't need to tweak their brain, basically. It's like it feels very modern. uh,
1: all japan women of the 90s was the most futuristic wrestling in the world
2: it was years ahead of its time and and to be honest they were being described as being 10 years ahead of their time five years before this so you know they were very much you know there was you know there's a curve that the rest of the world is on and there's a curve of what's happening in women's wrestling in japan at this time And, and one thing that i would say is i see what you mean about the about Hokuto getting maybe more attention in the post match than Toyota, but I think it's it's thinking about where they are in the company is that mm. I I think that at this point Toyota having finally put kind of the having kind of put the ghost of Hokuto to bed I suppose um, at this point the crowd is probably quite confident that she's going to go on and win the Japan Grand Prix the following night. Mm-hmm. Which she de- which she then goes and does. But basically, this is the bit of her story where kind of people know where she's going now at this point. So she's oh my god, she's really banged up. Is she gonna be alright to win the final tomorrow? But presumably she's going to. And the intrigue's kind of already been created by the fact that she's won and by the extent to which she's sold. At this I think fewer people realize what's next for Hoctor. And mm-hmm. I think storyline-wise, that's that's why it goes the way that it does. Um, but it got to where it needed to go. It's just maybe maybe it didn't quite get there in the most logical of fashions. There's a bit... Yeah, there's maybe a bit of a gap somewhere around the finish of that match. But otherwise, I feel like it kind of goes... It goes in the right direction, just maybe misses a few stops along the way.
1: Yeah, I think that you describing that, I think this would work better with a bit of context.
2: I think it made sense to the people in the room.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're coming into pretty much all of these matches with just being like that is the presentation in front of us like that 20 or 30 minutes is what we have to judge this on like we don't have this years of backstory and i can't do my watching a month of raw to you know get the get the lead up storyline for this um yeah i was slightly disappointed i think because i'm like i know how good both of these two are um i've always been a fan of both of them and like it was just when it got to that out of nowhere finish that just kind of i don't know just dented it for me i think
2: i think in a lot of ways this is this match is happening for the sake of doing it as much as anything else and and the this this audience knows what they want to see and ultimately maybe the ending isn't in doubt because they know that they've got the show the next night. Um, you know, perhaps they so perhaps they have sure. a feeling that they know which way this match is is going to go. Um, but they just wanted to see Toyota and Hokuto pull out the big moves. Um, with each other, ultimately there's a there's probably a feeling at the time that you know nobody knows how long they've got Akira Hokuto for. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know who knows what she's going to do next? We know that she's getting married, for example. You know, there's there's other stuff happening in in her life and with injuries. The reason that she never won. title actually is because the reason she never won that belt but manami toyota spoiler alert does go does win the japan grand prix and then does win the title back by the end of the year this is a hell of a 1995 for her um hokuto never won that because she was always injured her nickname was the mummy because she was always carrying bandages somewhere um so she was you know she was fragile and that's a it's a product of the style that they're working for sure but uh, you know, but at the same time, I think there's an uh, there's an element of this is a this is a big event. This is a special event. Let's just do this match while we can. And I think there's probably in the background, people knew really where they needed to get to and what was mm. going to happen with it. You know, she did go on, and you know, Hoxha went on with Misha murder um, as that sort of that particular iteration of of LCO and then they had a really good run in in the tag league later that year. But at this point, I think every Hokuto match was a gift. Um, So is that match he had against Mako Satamura like several years after this in 2004 on the must-see matches by any chance? Uh, What are you doing in November?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Akira Akira Hokuto has three other matches that we'll cover on the podcast Mm -hmm. and How many of them are after we all thought that she was at Death Star in 1995? I think she's got one against um, Satomura, and that is, what year is that? 2001. 2001. Yeah, 2001. April 2001. Yes. Uh,
1: And and talking of the Hokuto injuries, uh, two months later in WCW, she would blow out both of her knees.
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And, And yet, despite all these injuries no woman has as many nominations in our project as a a Akira Hokuto and no woman has as many matches that we'll cover on the podcast as Akira Hokuto.
1: There we go. Wow.
2: It's a product of what she does. It's a product of the style that she works, which is, you know, very much that never say die. There's a reason why um, Hokuto was a massive influence on Sasha Banks, um, for Mm. example, because they are people who wrestle like there's no tomorrow and Know that there's a you know know that there's a risk with that. I think Sasha Banks has probably kind of moved a little bit more towards the healthy um, in the past couple <laughs> of years, and obviously who knows how much wrestling she's going to do again in the future. You know what next partner will turn up in April or something like that. But for now, we don't we don't know. She might be getting out. You know she might be quitting while she's ahead. But she's the one where. You know, somebody once asked Sasha Banks on Twitter whether she was a born machana or an Aja Kong guy, and she uh, and she just turned around and went, "Akira Hokata, please." <laughs> you know, there's a you know they had that kind of similarity of kind of being being maybe a bit too like small and breakable to mm. do the kind of things that they do, but desperately wanting to kind of work at that level and create those moments that everybody mm. remembers. And that's quite funny because there's
0: only only two US women wrestling matches make the list and Sasha Banks is in both of
2: them. doesn't surprise me, actually. And there's a very clear, I think there's a clearer line between Hokuto and Sasha than there is between sort of any of the other Joshi Greats and and any of the four horsewomen. And in some ways, the, the horsewomen are maybe the nearest thing that this century has produced to what was happening in Joshi. Not necessarily that they're producing kind of, destiny 95 levels of match all the time or anything like that or certainly you know um for example i have a dvd downstairs that i was looking at last night um which is um best of akira Hokuto volume five and it's entirely 1993 um <laughs> it's it, it's genuine like it, it's amazing um these are at that level i'm not necessarily saying that the four horsewomen have been producing that kind of work all the time but what they have been doing is they they've taken women's wrestling to the point probably one of the first points in a long time where there have been men in America looking at it and going and watching this because it's great wrestling and there's a lot of men who had not really been looking at women's wrestling prior to that who were to- who basically were told no seriously this stuff's good yeah. and started yeah. watching like maybe Sasha versus Becky from Takeover Unstoppable or maybe any of those great um, Charlotte versus Sasha matches um, and that's done great things for the perception of women's wrestling in the in, in the U S just as much as the tape trading in 1995 did for perceptions of Japanese women's wrestling in, in the English speaking world.
1: There are little girls in America who want to grow up to be Sasha Banks. There were no little girls in America who wanted to grow up to be Kelly Kelly.
2: That's a nice way of putting it. And I hope that's true.
1: <laughs> I very much hope that's true. Mark, you had one big hot sexy take before we finish this off. What was it? I wouldn't go that far, but
0: oh. the, the main thing that struck me is so if you, I mean, we ask the question usually, is this a must-see match? And I'm not sure if this is the must-see match. I definitely think that a Minami toyota 90s, this-style match should have been on the list, because she's the kind of worker where... But for me, the most interesting thing about this is... And yet, I loved the match. I loved how it felt. I mean, aside from the, the issue towards the end, I loved how it felt like everything was building towards we need to win. But... I am a massive uh, 2010s New Japan fan. I was on board with that for years. And there are so many parallels with this match and its structure compared to the tropes we see in a lot of the the late 2010s New Japan matches in terms of you've got that big outside table uh, sequence and I'm so used to that spot and where it's placed in a New Japan match that I was completely floored that the finish happened about two minutes after they got back in the ring. Um, and it just feels to me, we've said that they're 15 years ahead of time. This just felt to me like if you'd have told me that the New Japan 2010 style and that Kenny Omega and the card and all that basically just sat down and looked, watched these matches and said, well, how do we do this? I wouldn't be shocked. It's... It's mind-blowing to see what, how what was old is new and to see that, yeah, Japanese women's wrestling really was cutting edge. But this is, the other thing is, the 1980s stuff that we've watched, it's all about emotional investment. It's all about the, the young female fans and their hero worship and their buy-in to the likes of the Crush Gals. And yes, you've got Jackie Yakota who can do the really cool stuff really well. But it kind of shows how they've gone from that to... It's not moves and work rate for the sake of it, but by emphasizing those elements and the other, thing, the other changes that have happened in Japanese society, you can kind of see why, in terms of the female fan base and having those massive crowds full of girls, you can see why that had disappeared and the crowd... Was so different ten years after, say, Chikasono versus Dump Matsumoto.
2: Yeah, there were quite a few reasons why I think that why I think that transition happened, and some of it was, you know, fans growing up and like bringing their boyfriends and bringing their families. Some of it is interpromotional, um, the interpromotional shows where men's and women's wrestling were being presented together, which suddenly mm-hmm. started bringing sort of more male eyes onto the product as well you know that all of that kind of thing is 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 part of that um but i you know i think you make a really good point in that looking at 90s joshi is kind of like doing a 23andme sort of dna analysis of what the indies are now like uh, that is because they're all borrowing from this i think kenny omega is quite honest about one uh, about having watched a lot of manami toyota matches in his time um there's a you know there are so many of them that are going back to this and you know, people like Hokuto and Toyota are as much, if not more, influential on them than people like Kawada, for example. Um. So there's a you know. I. I mean, yeah. In terms of this match being must see, I. It's definitely not my favorite Akira Akira-Hokuto match. Um. It's one of my favorite Toyota matches. Probably not my favorite. Probably not my favorite because again. In 1995, Wrestling Observer match of the year was that 60-minute Broadway against Kyoko Inoue. So, ban a year for both of these women, but Toyota's best match this year wasn't even this match, let alone, you know, career best. Um, but if you want to know what the 90s Joshi style that people are referring to, like what people think that Joshi style from the 90s is, that people talk about today as their influence, this is the match you need to see that explains all of that. Um, and I just think it's a it's a perfect time capsule of what was happening kind of just at this point where it's teetering on the brink of Joshi starting to go into its downturn and they're like, okay, we're just throwing everything at the wall here and here's the mad stuff that we're doing because we can. It's, this match is just a thrill ride from start to finish. And yes, all right. Uh, you've almost talked me out of liking the finish, guys. So thank you very much for that. I'm, not- I'm so sorry. Thank you about about hour, more than me. Ago.
1: Before I get digitally lynched, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, the floor is yours to plug whatever you would like. How can people find you on the internet if you want to be found?
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's always always good to have a chance to talk about Akira Hokuto, who is you know the greatest professional wrestler of all time. Uh, so... Yeah. So first things first. Um, find me at Sarah Parking One on Twitter. Um, from there, if you ignore everything else that I say, if you follow me on Twitter, I will probably post everything else that I'm about to plug anyway. Um, so the next thing to so the next thing to bear in mind is um, we are we are at that point in the Big Egg podcasting universe saga where we are publishing episodes about the V Top tournament, which is your big, the main event, eight women tournament that takes place at the end of the epic um, 10-hour-long, 24-match um, Big Egg Wrestling Universe in November 1994. That means that we are getting to the Proverbial Fireworks Factory, so we've got episodes where we're going to talk about Manami Toyota, where we're going to talk about Akira Akuto and Aja Kong and Kyoko Inuit and all of those people. Um, we're starting to get into that now as well, so there's plenty to catch up on with all of the matches that we've already done, um, and we're, we're getting into some of the really exciting stuff now as well. Um, so, yeah, follow us on... Um, It's actually belonging to the Pura Puri podcast on their SoundCloud. So on my Twitter, which you're all going to follow me on now, I'm going to post links to all of these things so that you've got a bit more detail. Um, But that's going to be coming out very soon. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to be getting on with some VTOP action, hopefully in the next few weeks. Um, So I'm going to leave it there for my plugs for now. Otherwise, I'm going to ramble for hours
1: okie-dokie uh as for us you can follow us at must see matches on twitter and you can go to linktree slash must see matches for the full list uh of of 1065 nominations ways to subscribe to this show if you're not already and a whole load of other stuff next week absolutely no idea we haven't organized it yet don't know what match don't know what (laughs) guest so uh maybe this outro will get re-recorded if we uh if uh, we find somebody in
2: time Um, i'm more excited by a mystery box
1: (laughs) so okay well there we go tune in next week for must see matches mystery vortex uh thank you very much everybody and we'll see you next week bye Bye. bye